Episode 4, Helter Skelter was real. Charles Manson was first and foremost a paranoid racist. How he became that way can probably be explained by his years in prison, getting beat up, and then maybe his years as a pimp, where many of his rivals were African-American. This just solidified his views. Maybe he was already that way, we don't know. But he was racist to the core. And that racism manifested itself in his rules for the family regarding music, relationships, as well as his strange belief in a final race war that would lead to the end of the world with African-Americans taking over and then Manson grabbing power from them, which he dubbed Helter Skelter. This is also backed up by his constant quoting of the Book of Revelations, which the Book of Revelations, you know, as a guy who grew up Catholic, we never used it. It was never used in services. To me, it's a crazy book, but a lot of people, you know, I think some Protestant churches use it. To me, it's just, it's over the edge. Um, now, why Manson felt the Beatles was speaking to him through the White Album, which were released in December 1968, we will never know. But I think it's proof of his poor mental health. And he truly believed it. And his actions over that last year of freedom, his last year of freedom, are a testament to those beliefs. For those new to the topic, the song Helter Skelter, written by Paul McCartney, is about an amusement park slide in Northern England. Um, if you listen to the lyrics carefully, you will get it. It's pretty obvious. But Charlie thought the band was sending him secret communications, not just through the song Helter Skelter, but many other songs, especially Piggies and Revolution Number no. 9. He became obsessed with those two songs as well. Now, the album... Is actually called The Beatles, is self-titled. But in the States, it became known as The White Album because the cover was just blank. It's a double album, has 28 songs. It's, you know, it's... Um, I don't know if it's considered as groundbreaking as Sgt. Pepper, but I think it's a better album than Sgt. Pepper. Uh, as I said earlier, it came out in the end of November 68, and by the end of the year, Charlie was on a whole new mission with a whole new vibe. All of his wacky views and rage fantasies now converged with a little help from the songwriting of the Beatles. Bugliosi gets criticized a lot for using this helter-skelter theory to convict Manson. But it worked because it was true. Now, was it the sole reason he killed? No. Charlie was a rage-filled sociopath who believed in a lot of wacky stuff. He had no education, no guidance most of his life. And this is what happens with bad parents in a lifetime of incarceration. He was a cliché. Now, was he born evil? Maybe. Maybe it was a combination of nature and nurture. He might have been a miscreant even in a nice suburban home. Who knows? But from December 1968 up to the night of August 8th, 1969, his actions and orders to the family reflect these deeply held beliefs in a final race war. It was a slow build. But it's very obvious if you study those days, week by week, you know, day by day, you, you can just see this. And, you know, a lot of this information is gleaned from the family members who spoke over the past 30, 40, 50 years, um, police reports. Even the killers themselves talked about this. You know, a lot of the family members wrote books. And, you know... I, Conspiracy theorists will say, oh, they're just saying that. They're just following the party line. Everything gets dismissed. They just don't want to believe that, that Charles Manson was a maniac. Um, 
and he believed in Helter Skelter. Yes, it's crazy, but Charlie was crazy. Okay, and we're going to look at this day-by-day build, this day-by-day building of crazy structure, right? I mean, just row by row of nut. Um, but his actions, some of them so specific to Helter Skelter, it can't be missed. It's obvious. You know, I often wonder if, if Bugliosi had presented that, you know, he presented his theory of Helter Skelter during the court case, but maybe he should have got more granular with it. You know, maybe he should have talked about the individual buying of equipment and so forth that I'm going to go over. So in October 1968, uh, they left Spawn and they moved to Myers Ranch and then Barker Ranch in Death Valley. And Charlie began talking about the Devil's Hole, this hole in the desert where they would be high during Helter Skelter. And as a setting up shop in, in, uh, in the desert, the Beatles released a White Album. Within days, you know, he gets a copy, and then Charlie starts going around, won't stop talking about this album. They're talking to me. They're going to send me a telegram. Keep checking. Check the phones. They're going to call. He thought the Beatles were going to call him, send him letters, that they just, they used the album to speak to him, but they're going to send him a telegram at any time. He would constantly yell, rise all the time. And several family members later claimed that Charlie tried to call London, asking for the Beatles. This is, this is not a well man, okay? So the, in, they were in the desert a couple of months. They would end up back at Barker. <clears throat> but in January 69, they moved to a yellow house in Canoga Park, <clears throat> close to Spawn. And, uh, you know, I don't, I don't remember what brought them there, but some of the goings-on there would lead to more rage by Charlie. So in March of 69, you start seeing the the kind of purchasing power behind Helter Skelter. So they buy a couple of trucks to prepare for a move to the desert in case Helter Skelter broke out. Okay? Now, at first the racism was sort of subtle. So Danny DiCarlo, a member of the Stray Satans and and father of a young son, shows up to fix a bike. He ends up moving to Spawn permanently later, a couple months later. He had set up the gun shop in the Undertaker's parlor left over on the old movie sets. But Danny did something to piss Charlie off almost immediately. Danny listened to jazz and other black music. And that didn't just upset Charlie, but a lot of the girls as well, who had taken on Charlie's racism. Seems weird, but again, it's Charlie's racism manifesting itself. That same month, March of 69, as they started getting back to Spawn, a guy named Joe, also of the Straight Satans, moves into Spawn. And he starts helping build a, a helter, quote, helter-skelter road to the desert because he had worked, I think, I think as, a, as, a, as a seasonal firefighter, he knows the fire roads and state park routes through the mountains. So they literally started widening those fire breaks and fire roads. And I believe, if you look at the satellite photos, um, parts of those roads are still, those paths are still there. Um, they had taken existing paths and widened them. And there's, there's one about two miles uh, east of Spawn. It's clear that in the old days it led right to the back of Spawn. Um, 
But that's another. Why would you have someone build a road? You know how far that is to Barker Ranch from Spawn? And they were building a road? I mean, it's just insane. And they, they actually had water stations they were putting in. It's just nuts. Okay? So in May of 69, I think Melcher reported this. He saw a truck full of dune buggies waiting to be, you know, during that visit in May, I think it was the end of May, maybe the last week of May, he saw a truck full of dune buggies waiting to be transported to the desert. And he was told it's preparation for Helter Skelter. But come July, Charlie's racism really began to take on new dimensions. July 1st, 1969. This is just after the shooting of Bernard Crow. Charlie tried to settle out because Tex had burned him in a drug deal. Crow calls the ranch. Now remember, Charlie thought Bernard Crow, Melcher and Dennis Wilson's primary drug dealer, was in the Black Panthers. I think he thought every black person was in the Black Panthers. I'm not really sure why. But the Black Panthers are very anti-drug. Uh, <clears throat> so Bernard Crow's business wouldn't have been um, welcomed. So Crow calls a ranch. He threatens the family. Says he's holding Texas girlfriend hostage, Rosina. Uh, so Manson heads to her apartment. It wasn't really her apartment. It was actually the apartment of one of Dennis Wilson's friends, I think. And he heads over there with T.J. Wallerman, another member of the family. He shoots Crow. He thinks he's dead. He steals the, another guy's jacket. He runs out and gets back to spawn. Now paranoia sets in. Right? So if Manson had known Crow survived and that uh, the guy whose jacket he stole was a friend of Dennis Wilson, I think he might have uh, resisted doing what he did. But desperation set in. He thought the Panthers were going, going to attack. He started saying, Helter Skelter is now. And that same week as the shooting, a Black Panther was assassinated on the UCLA campus and the body dumped somewhere. It was all over the news. So Manson thought it might be the body of Crow. It's just, it's just bizarre because he had no knowledge of the UCLA shooting. It's just on the news, it came up says the body of a Panther was found somewhere in, in L.A. Everyone at the ranch began freaking out. This is it. This is finally it. He started setting up guards and building more dune buggy pads. And, and all the guys got dune buggies to patrol. A couple days later, a black man was seen walking a dog near the ranch driveway. Everybody freaked out. A couple days later, a group of black tourists stopped at the ranch to take pictures because they had seen, you know, they grew up watching the same shows as the, as the white community. And they, and they wanted to look at the sets. You know, all those, and the whole area was, a lot of the old westerns were filmed in that area. But to the family, and to Charlie, this was proof that Helter Skelter was coming down. Manson said the tourists are really a Panther scouting party. The pressure in Charlie's mind, and the mind of the family, especially the girls, was continuing to build. Then during this time, his attempts to buy more dune buggies so they could travel between Spawn and Death Valley. Can you imagine riding just on a dune buggy all the way to Barker Ranch in Death Valley from Spawn? So you're in North Los Angeles County, and you're riding out to Death Valley on a dune buggy over these makeshift roads. Okay. I mean, this is, it's insane. So, <clears throat> the third week of July, thereabouts, Manson instructs Bruce Davis, Bobby Beausoleil, and Mary Brennan to stop buying more Helter Skelter gear. They go and buy sleeping bags and various tools. 
and parts for the dune buggies, then buck knives, mess kits, and baby clothes. This is how far Charlie's taking a hit. Then the girls are strangely instructed to have at least one long dress and a dark outfit to creepy crawl. The creepy crawling began to increase. Bayonets were purchased as well, and that, that would become useful just a couple of weeks later. Once they were sharpened to Charlie's uh, liking, they were then moved to the gun room, which was still overseen by Danny DiCarlo. <clears throat> In late July, I believe somewhere on the 26th or 27th, Paul Watkins... Manson's, formerly Manson's number two in the family, who had left Spawn, moved to Death Valley with a couple of uh, sort of pseudo-family associates, miners in that area. He'd, he'd gone into a mine and stayed with a girl. He came by the ranch and to tell Charlie he was leaving the family for good. He was going to study Scientology with one of those pseudo-friends, Paul Crockett. Now, he had stayed behind in the fall. He, he had been part of the family when they moved from Spawn to Barker right around November. And now he kind of shocked Charlie, telling him he was leaving permanently. And he'd come back to say goodbye. This was a big blow to Charlie. Paul was a true believer in Helter Skelter. And he desperately tried to get Paul to stay. This is, to me, is one of the tipping points for Charlie. This is a Helter Skelter tipping point. A true believer, true believer in Charlie's theories was leaving. But in his book, Paul points to a lot of the things he observed when he went back to Spawn. It had been some time since he'd been around the family. He noticed, and he stayed there for several days, he noticed changes in Charlie. He called it like a terminal illness when someone begins to take a downturn. He said it was scary. He made a couple of trips back and forth to get stuff. So he, he saw it over a period of about a week. During one of these trips, uh, he got back to talk to Charlie and asked to be released from all agreements. Charlie's had these verbal agreements with all the family members, various things he would hold them to. Charlie agreed, very surprisingly. And Anson said, no problem. We're getting ready for Helter Skelter and heading to the desert soon as well. Quote, I have to show Blackie it's going down. Charlie would try one more time as Paul was leaving for the last time to try to move him back. One of the girls, Diane Lake, a frequent target of Charlie, Charlie's violence uh, in those last few weeks at Spawn, begged Paul not to leave. Um, she was kind of in love with Paul. She repeated Charlie's statements that Helter Skelter was going down, we need you. Again, Manson came over begged Paul Watkins, please stay. And also said the, but Watkins observed, and this is his quote, the love thing was gone. It was all helter skelter now. And then in his final trip, as he loaded up his truck for the last time, he said it was even more chaotic and foreboding. Everyone was just running around, saying weird things. It got very dark. And he knew something was desperately wrong inside the family. He hadn't been around for the Melcher thing and the music uh, contract failure. But Watkins saw something was happening. On July 27th, Charlie, in one of his security ramblings, 
took a dune buggy to the intersection of Topanga and St. Susanna Pass. So when you, if you were standing in the old uh, Spawn Ranch driveway, which you can, I don't know if you can, you, know, you can't do it anymore, but you'd make a right and you'd drive down to Topanga Canyon uh, uh, Road. I, I guess it's called Topanga Road. I'm not, I'm not sure. And he was standing at that corner, hidden in uh, a bit of a holla, to watch for panthers coming. A couple of California Highway Patrol saw this. They knew Manson from the area. They stopped him and asked what he was doing. He said he was looking for blacks. He strangely was... They apparently were heading to spawn. He fooled them into uh, letting him go. Um, Charlie still had those skills. So now we fast forward to the night of August 8th. Charlie tells Tex... This is after Beausoleil's arrest and Sandra Good and Mary Bruna getting arrested. The final breakdown. Helter Skelter is now. And the killing began once again. They would head to Cielo within 30 minutes and into history. There was one last reference to Charlie's racism. And that was in October. In uh, Bark, yes, at Barker. He had this is when he had uh, he had Watson kind of in a sniper's nest. He wanted Watson to get in a sniper's nest and all this kind of stuff. After his arrest, he tells the Rangers, better get ready, the coloreds, quote, are gonna take over. And I don't like using that term, but that's that's a quote from Charlie. The guy was a complete racist. He really did believe in Helter Skelter. And Bugliosi was right to use it. No, it wasn't the sole reason. But it was just a manifestation of his paranoia that coincided with his rage that helped get a lot of people killed.